Welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm here with Hannah Shell, who I'm very excited to have on, and we are going to talk about the world of gravel. In that, that was a play on words, was it? Wasn't it, Hannah? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm glad uh, we could um, do this and connect and uh, talk about gravel because you have certainly done some gravel and uh, and all that. So anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I am glad to hear that. So I kind of want to get to know you. Uh, we've never met, although we just discovered we're both from Des Moines, which is kind of fun. Uh, you're always welcome to come back. I'll buy you a coffee at uh, the Mars Cafe. How about that? Oh, man. I'm tempted. Very tempted. <laughs> when you're swinging through town after Bentonville this weekend, it's not really on the way back to Colorado. You live in Colorado and uh, are heading to Bentonville for the final chapter of the Lifetime series, which you were one of the 30 selected to participate and i want to talk about that in a little bit but uh that's kind of fun jumping into that lifetime series yeah it has been fun it has just been a cool experience from the start yeah yeah well i i am super intrigued by it and we'll talk about why and i want to get your uh kind of your feedback on it but um but you didn't start out in gravel you started out uh well i don't know where you started out um, but I see you have done a lot of road stuff. Um, Joe Martin, um, uh, a lot of stuff in St. Louis, Tour of St. Louis, Gateway Cup, uh, Tulsa Tough, Redlands. Like, that's kind of the whole U.S. road circuit you've done. Uh, what got you into biking and on the road? Yeah, so I was a runner, um, not competitively, just was kind of doing it for fun in college. And I had a really bad running injury my senior year and kind of graduated from college with the injury, started my first job in St. Louis, Missouri. And a triathlete there was kind of getting into bike racing herself. And when I told her I was injured, she was like, well, you got to come race bikes with me. So I got a bike from my dad and jumped into a crit. It was the Edwardsville Criterium, and I got third in the 3-4 race. And I was like, oh, wow. I was never on a podium in a running race. This is great. <laughs> yeah, for so, sure. That'll hook you. Yeah, I was hooked. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it just took off from there. I went really like headfirst into the world of racing. I got a coach. I started training consistently, built out a race calendar. And yeah, by the time I was maybe two years into racing i was racing redlands and everything on the u.s road scene wow that's awesome um and uh professionally i i didn't write down all your teams but uh i remember seeing dna um what were some of the teams you're on because they were on i mean you were on continental teams i started on is corp actually i okay. guest rode for them for half of the season in 2017 and then rode for Papa John's, which is now CWA. Mm -hmm. And yeah, DNA in 2019. You're rocking out the road and now you're doing a ton of gravel. Tell me about that transition. Yeah, well in, okay, 2019 I was on DNA and again, really busy road schedule. 
2020, my husband and I decided to start kind of a privateer program. And we did that for, I would say that it was kind of the idea of having a team that was both men and women, but truly equal between the two. Because Jake came from, um, he raced on continental teams in Australia for about 10 years and then came over here, actually started on elbows and then moved to Texas Roadhouse. And even at the top levels of cycling at that point, there was a huge difference between the amount of support that men's teams got and that women's teams got. I would say it's getting better from what I understand. Yeah. But what was really upsetting at the time was to see programs that had both a men's team and a women's team and that didn't support them equally. And I was never a part of a program like that, but from the women that I spoke to that were, it was very common. And so our goal and our entire kind of purpose of the program was to have men and women equal support across all levels. Um, so we started that in 2020. Initially, we were planning to do road. And then, as everyone knows, there was no road racing in 2020. Right. And I decided to Everest. And mm. actually, for not being really prepared to do it, I did it fairly quickly. I did it in about 12 and a half hours. Wow. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm good at longer stuff. I've been doing crit racing for most of my career, but I really actually enjoyed the challenge of a 12-hour event, and that really led me and pushed me towards gravel. What Do you remember your first gravel race? Yes, it was um, the Oklahoma Gravel Grinder. Uh, how'd that go? I got second. Oh, wow. To wow. Emily Newsom, yeah. so I felt really good about that. Wow. You should. <laughs> Again, that'll hook you, won't it? Oh, it was so, and that race was about 30 degrees and snowy. It was brutal. One of the In coldest. Oklahoma? Yes. Welcome to Originally gravel. forecasted to be in the 60s, and then they just had this weird cold snap. It was snowing. It was wet and cold. I've, I've never experienced anything like it, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I think I can relate to that. The very first... Serum, which is a uh, bike ride in South Central Iowa, just south of Des Moines, was snowy, obviously cold, windy, wet, like 33 degrees and giant wet snowflakes landing in your eyeballs. And I mean, it was, it was, I was frozen stiff by the time I got home. But uh, uh, yeah, I can, I, that's hard. But you got second. I did not get second <laughs> at Serum, for sure. But uh, that's awesome. So that hooked you, and um, you kind of kept going then? Yeah, exactly. It was 2021. I just went headfirst, full season of gravel. Wow. What do you enjoy doing? What I, I know you've done some BWR, uh, Gravel Worlds. Uh, what, what do you enjoy doing in gravel? What are your, some of your favorite races? I love Unbound. That is just a special event for me. I think the, the distance and, of it, the challenge, it's, it was kind of the second gravel race I ever did actually. And 
yeah, I think there's just something really special about that event. Kind of regardless of whether you're having a good day or you're having a bad day or you're racing for the win or, you know, just racing to finish before the sun goes down. It's a really kind of rare gathering of people doing something that's extremely challenging and really shouldn't be as popular as it is. But for some reason it is. <laughs> that's yeah. that's well said. It shouldn't be. Yeah. I love Gravel World. Um, I just think the crew there is so amazing. I love being around them. Um, I love their focus on equality and inclusivity. And it is a very hard race. Yeah, for sure. You, it's surprising. Like you hear Nebraska and it's like, I have no desire to go to Nebraska and ride on gravel roads in the middle of August. But uh, boy, I mean, people do and have a great time and it's a, it's such a great event. Yeah. I initially, when I like didn't do tons of research into the event and I was like, oh yeah, gravel, Nebraska, it should be flat, right? It'll be fine. Right. It's not flat. <laughs> no, up and down the teeth of a saw. Yeah. Brutal. Well, you also just came off of uh, BWR Kansas, fifth place finish, just, uh, is that yesterday or day before? Which day was that, Saturday or Sunday? It was yesterday, yeah. Oh, awesome. 130 miles in Kansas. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how'd that go for you? How, like, I'm curious, the roads around Lawrence versus the roads around Emporia, uh, a big difference between BWR and Unbound as far as the riding goes? That's a good question. I actually found the hills in Lawrence to be a little bit punchier. I hmm. think at Unbound, there are steep climbs. A lot of them are a little bit more gradual. Whereas around here, you really know when you're going uphill, up or down, and there is no in between. Huh, wow. They're not that far away from each other. Did you, like, do they cross paths at all? Those two routes? No. Lawrence goes more north. So from the town of Lawrence, it kind of does a loop to the north. You got into the Lifetime Grand Prix, which is awesome. That was not an easy thing to do. Uh, tell me about your application. How'd you end up getting in? How, what attracted you to the Lifetime Series? And how'd you... Like, how, tell me about your application. It was so cool to see a series that was application and kind of merit-based. Instead of, I think that with a lot of the other cycling series, it's a little bit of a pay-to-play game. Like, USA Crits being one that comes to mind. Pay the D1 fee and you can be a part of the series. What I liked about the Grand Prix was that it was, tell us what you're doing to the, grow the sport of cycling. Tell us what cycling means to you and, you know, how it's changed you as a person. So it was a little bit more in-depth, not just based on cycling results. Um, obviously, when you look at the list of riders, their decisions were for sure based on results. Um, but I think you see some riders in there that are maybe names that you aren't super familiar with that were sure. added into the series is kind of like, you know, this is someone that could be up and coming. We love what they're doing for the sport. We love how they think of the sport and we want to give them a chance on a bigger stage. So how did you answer those questions? What does cycling mean to you? And 
what are you doing to help grow the sport? Oh, I should have seen that coming. Okay. So... <laughs> you should have. You brought it up. Yeah, it is I did your bring fault. It up, didn't I? <laughs> yep. So, something that I really love about gravel in particular is that everyone is sharing this experience, and it doesn't matter what experiences you have had leading up to the event, if that makes sense. So every other discipline of cycling categorizes riders based on their previous race history. And so there's immediately a level of elitism just going to the start line. You can rent a bike and go to the start line and stand next to Pete Setna. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. And when I think about, I think that the way that I answered it is basically just what gravel cycling means to me is that I feel good about participating in this sport because I truly see how this sport can be growing cycling and changing and breaking down some of the issues that have developed in the sport that I think repel people away from it. What would you say repels people away from it? I think that there is an image of what a cyclist looks like that um, can maybe lead some people to think that, oh, if I don't have a fast bike and if I don't have a cool spandex kit, then I shouldn't go do this event or I shouldn't try. Um, I think that there is, you know, you can even go as far as to say that if you're not wearing the right socks. Yeah, it can be a very intimidating sport for, uh, I mean, really anybody. Even somebody who's an experienced cyclist, like maybe they've, you know, ridden for the past 15 years but never raced. It's still intimidating and hard to break into that race community. And I think, Absolutely it is. except for gravel, like you said. Uh, gravel, it's easy. I feel like gravel is like, um, kind of like running, you know, you can just sign up and go do a 10 K and you line up with the other 500 or thousand people. And doesn't matter, matter where you line up. If you're not going to run a five minute mile, maybe you shouldn't be on the front line, but nobody's going to keep you from being on the front line and gravel's kind of the same way. Yeah. And that, I love that comparison because it, it kind of like running and triathlon, I think triathlon definitely a little bit more structured than running, having the pro card structure, but still the same idea that anyone can sign up. It doesn't matter what your previous experience is. Everyone gets to race the same course. It's on the same day. And there, it just, something about that, I feel like it just removes this idea of what you need to be to come to this event. It's more, you come to this event as you are, and we can promise that there is going to be something to accommodate you. Yep. I love that. I feel like this is a good time to talk about the, the UCI World Championships, which again is why I contacted you because you kind of wrote an editorial piece on Instagram that I ran into and I was like, Oh, this is a person with an opinion who I would love to talk to. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the UCI is sticking their toe has stuck their toe into the world of gravel. 
in my opinion, they saw dollar bills and are like, ah, we want a piece of that. They saw momentum and they're like, we need some momentum. And, uh, and they came up with their own kind of series. It was just such a weird format just to get in. I think there were 11 or 12 uh, UCI qualifying events, quote unquote, around the world, like That's in right. the Philippines, in Australia, in all over Europe, Asia. And uh, there were two scheduled here in the States and one of them was canceled. And um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know who heard about the other one. Um, uh, cause I, I mean, I heard there were maybe a hundred people that had signed up for it. Um, but, uh, you know, if you were in the top 25% of your age group, then you qualified to go to the world championships. Um, and that would be in the age group category. And then they also had these elite races and I don't really know how you qualified to get in the elite races. You probably have a better understanding of that than I do, but, um, tell me your experience with this new UCI gravel calendar. First of all, were you excited when you heard that it was going to exist? Yes, and the reason that I was excited is because unlike on the road, I feel like I have a chance at being really competitive at gravel. I can come to these events and think I'm competing for the win or I'm competing to be in the top five. In my road career, I was never, ever going to Redlands and thinking I'm competing to be in the top five. Um, well, you've gotten really good at being top five or five. <laughs> fifth place. Really? You're a professional you know, fifth placer. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> that's all right. I love uh, it. Which is fine. <laughs> just, you know, yep. really good yep. if I could move that up. Maybe just a couple places. But, um, yeah, so... I was excited about it because it's just not very often that someone thinks, wow, I have a chance to maybe go race UCI world championships. That's true. That's not a very, you know, in, like in any other, I really can't think of any other sport even where that would be a possibility to think without going through you know, and road cycling, like the whole freaking world tour. Uh, I mean, you can't just like think, oh gosh, I could make it to the world road championships. Like that's just not a possibility, you know, unless you're racing pro at the highest level. So that is a cool, that is cool. That is cool. And so you, you thought, oh, throw my hat in the ring. Yeah, well, so I had planned to go to the race, the qualifier in Iowa. At that time, my understanding was that the only way to be selected for the UCI Gravel World Championships was to race a qualifying event. That changed, um, and from my understanding, part of the reason that that changed was because of the extremely low turnout and because the Iowa event was canceled with very short notice. It was within three weeks of the actual date of the event. And I know that Lauren DeCrescenzo had been planning on racing there as well. So having the, you know, they had this race in Arkansas that was kind of at a bad time in terms of the rest of the gravel calendar. It had really low turnout. In fact, I don't know that any of the women that I've raced against competitively went to that race. 
and then they canceled the event in Iowa, which I know more women were planning to be at. I was disappointed. So yeah, the the Jingle Cross UCI World Qualifier was canceled in, I think that was June or July. So what'd you do uh, after that? I emailed the organizers for the first time and I kind of just said, you know, hey, a lot of us were planning on racing this event. So what are the other options? You know, it's not really feasible. I'm not gonna go to Europe to race one of the other qualifying events. So, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on how the U.S. women will still have a chance to come do the world championships? And at that point they said, we're gonna work with USA Cycling to have a number of wildcard spots. And so you should be able to petition your contact at USA Cycling to get one of those spots. Hmm. Okay. And so the women that did go, from my understanding, at least for some of them, there was an application process that was reviewed and then those women were selected to go. How many people went and how, like they had the whole age group thing who determined who got to be in the like elite race speaking of one of the things you love about gravel is that everybody can line up together they did not they had an elite race and then they had age group races it looks like a bunch of separate different age group races on different days um how would somebody get into the elite race i have no idea i well i i actually i spoke with sarah so i know how sarah got into the elite race and that was she applied through the application that USA Cycling had put up to go to Gravel Worlds. And then she was selected through that process to go. Okay, so maybe kind of like the USA Cycling picks road team members, right? Like this is gonna be the people we field in this race. Yeah, but it still begs the question, what if an elite racer had raced in Arkansas and won? great question i don't even know why did the woman who won the overall in arkansas not get to be in the elite race Uh, that's a great question i don't know wasn't fast enough i don't know yeah i don't know that's interesting huh so then why do that race at all i don't know yeah unless weird setup want to go race age group right which is valid right yeah sure absolutely but but i feel like if you're doing the qualifier well, I mean, if you're going over to win the world championship jersey, I mean, they gave out one, you know, yeah. one for the men and one for the women. Um, but if you do the qualifier and you win it, I feel like, okay, this is the qualifier and okay, I qualified to be in the elite race, but obviously that's not how it works. Interesting. It's all kind of like behind the curtain magic going on in there. It is. Well, and you know, it was funny because when I reached out after they canceled the Iowa qualifier, I just said, you know, I really want to have the opportunity to attend this race. And so what can I do? And they said, to be honest, we're still so stressed about finding a venue and confirming where this race is going to be held that we haven't really thought about that yet. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm not going to put all of my eggs in this basket yet, because from that email, it sounds like they're scrambling. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, so then tell me about your experience when you learned what the course actually was. Yeah, so 
the nail in the coffin for UCI Gravel Worlds for me. And they, I knew that there was this application that I could fill out. I also knew that I would have to pay for it myself. Um, we run a privateer program and our sponsors are extremely generous with the equipment and cash that they provide us. But those budgets are set at the beginning of the year. And where Jake and I are at, we did not have a trip to Europe budgeted when we had our contracts with our sponsors. So yeah, that would have come out of our pockets. And that is a lot. I mean, it's a big investment. When I had this conversation with Sarah about her experience and, you know, she kind of said to me, how often do you get a chance to go to Europe and race against the women that are, you know, the best at what they do? And when she said that, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. I should look into this more. I should uh, see where this has landed and maybe make a decision on whether I should apply. And then I saw that they'd cut the women's, well, not even cut the women's course, but the women's course was shorter than the men's and on a different day. And that the men's race would be the only race on that day but the women's race would be sharing that day with other age group. And those two things combined, I saw that and I just thought, well, it's not worth the investment for me to go to this race because it doesn't feel like the elite women's race is getting the level of attention or space in the event that it should. How'd that make you feel? Frustrated. Uh, one of the greatest things about gravel is that women and men race equal distance. They race the same course at the same time on the same day. It's equal. Uh, right. The Lifetime Grand Prix. Equal payout. It's all the same between men and women. This is a founding principle of gravel. And I cannot understand why someone would take that and change it unless that's their intent i don't want it i don't i don't want to say what or what not the uci is intending but it sure seems very anti uh i don't want to even say anti-american but it definitely like i watched the races and it looked like Perry Roubaix. It was heavy on the pavement, and then there were gravel sectors, just like the cobblestones in Perry Roubaix. And it was after the first two hills, flat as a pancake. It was on like a, you know, a limestone bike path. <clears throat> excuse me, limestone bike path with some single track connectors through people's backyards. And um, on, like, the ridge of a dike along a river or a lake or something, I, literally flat as a pancake. And I'm like, boy, that just does not feel – that feels like a European road race. And you look at the people in it, and it was European road racers, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, there are a couple of Americans, like the uh, Lauren and um, – who was the other – 
Was um, it Lauren Stevens? Lauren Stevens, Emily Newsom, Holly Emily Matthews, Newsom. and Sarah Sturm. I, I don't know. I just thought it was very Eurocentric. Very not, not even the spirit of gravel like gravel worlds is spirit of gravel like unbound is spirit of gravel like um you know your every weekend there's another local small gravel race in a small town in iowa and kansas and missouri and illinois and colorado that exemplify the spirit of gravel which is a community of people who come together to spend a day enjoying cycling and there's a pointy end that's going for some wood burnt trophies that they can put on their mantle and uh, pies and cookies and uh and then there's everybody else who is looking to do a pr in distance or better their time from last year or spend a day with friends and they uh, hide beer in the bushes at a couple of places along the route. And it's just an excuse to go out and ride 100 miles or 100K with friends. So that all is the spirit of gravel on like real live gravel roads that go up and down and wind around. And this just looked like such a European thing. And I just, I found that so interesting. And then to make the women's race on a different day, a different, uh, a shorter course. I don't know. I just thought it was super interesting. Super interesting. Well, I agree. And I emailed the organizer when I noticed that the course was shorter and I thought, benefit of the doubt, I want to ask why they did this. And his response to me was, uh, Every single UCI World Championship that exists, the women's races are shorter than the men's, so I don't understand what the point of your question is. Oh, wow. And that, I thought, I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I know that, you know. Huh. Uh, is that because your uterus will fall out UCI. if you go too far? <laughs> he explained to me um, the distance between, or the distance gap between the men's UCI road world course and the women's UCI road world course, which I'm familiar with. Um, but it seemed to me based on his response that my question had struck a chord. And I just, so in my response to him, I said, you know, I'm sorry that this question upset you. That wasn't my intent. I really wanted to understand what the logic was behind this decision and I said, the reason that this is a valid question is because I've never seen a gravel race, period, where the women race a different course than the men. It's a founding principle of the sport that everyone races the same course. And it seems like the most successful gravel races in the world follow that principle and the most competitive gravel races in the world follow that principle. So just wanted to understand why, you know, UCI would go a different route. And I think I got a more reasonable response after that, which was that they didn't want this to be like the U.S. gravel scene that, you know, understood that in the U.S. super long endurance races are popular but that based on feedback from racers that they understood those races were too long for women and that 
the current course they were they were getting complaints was too long. Wow. And I don't know what racers they spoke with because I've I've spoken with women that disagree with me, with women that you know think that women's races should be shorter than men's, but I would say out of a hundred racers, there's maybe two. That's interesting. I just feel like like uh, and. I mean, there's hundred. There's a lot of hundred k races, which the world championships were eighty miles, which is more than a hundred k. I can't do the math, but um, I don't know, maybe a hundred and forty k. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't know. Um, so it wasn't like I don't. I, I, I the only race in my head that they can be thinking of is Unbound. That's too long it's 200 miles we don't want to go 200 miles I, I, why not you know we do it like women do it you did gravel worlds it was 150 hilly miles you did it a ton of women did it and you didn't mm-hmm. die your uterus didn't fall out like you made it i don't know that logic just blows me away but let's also take it a step further and look at ultra endurance cycling because Lael Wilcox has proven that the longer races get, the more an advantage women have. Hmm. Is that an editorial comment? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't care. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Lael has set course yeah. records. I mean, you're she right. She has taken them from men. I know for sure. So do you think UCI is scared of women doing well? No, I, mean, I don't how think far they thought about it. Okay, they just, women's races are shorter. To be honest. Yeah. I think that um, they just thought this is how we do it across every discipline. Huh, that's just crazy. Do you think the UCI involvements will do anything to change the spirit of gravel here in the States? I could be wrong because there were riders that were selected to go to UCI Gravel Worlds. And so potentially other riders will see that opportunity and want that for themselves. But I think as a whole, if you look at the gravel community in the U.S., they weren't impacted by the UCI Gravel World Series. They were kind of like, oh, is that happening? Correct. I heard an announcement about it, but then I haven't heard anything else. Unless you were actively seeking information out about it, like I was, you probably didn't hear anything. That's, I think that's an accurate statement this year. I know that they reached out to race organizers that run prominent gravel races in the U.S. and tried to bring them into the series and that those race organizers basically said no there's no reason for us to do that we're super successful as we are if anything involving the uci is only going to repel people from our event yeah that's interesting a thought i had watching the races i watched both the women and the men i will say the women the very first gravel uh, rainbow jersey was awarded to a woman. So there's that because it was on Saturday and the men's race was on Sunday. History was made. I wondered if 
people seem to pay attention to that race that day as they would a freaking Perry Roubaix. Um, and I could see a Eurocentric um, actual World Cup, you know, similar to maybe Cyclocross World Cup or Mountain Bike World Cup, you know, a dozen races around the world. And, uh, you know, teams actually being put together to race that World Cup. I could see in my head, I could see it evolving into something like that. Not next year, maybe not the year after, but I was like, ah, oh, that might be kind of the future of this particular event. And I thought, is that a horrible thing? I don't think so, because we still have cyclocross free on Tuesday nights in the local park. And there is a UCI World Cup cyclocross series. There is a UCI cyclocross world championship, but we still have our, uh, we've got a couple of races this weekend in Des Moines and we'll ride our bikes there and we'll pay the $25 and we'll ride around in circles in the grass and then we'll drink beer and have fun. UCI did not ruin that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like the two can coexist, but it, that gravel thing in, in my eyes is like, okay, it, I could see something kind of building to become similar to a mountain bike or a cyclocross World Cup series. And I don't feel like that ruins uh, ruins Unbound or our local Redfield 100K on a Saturday morning gravel race. There's definitely some issues around um, that the women have to... Um, have had to contend with. What do you think about um, the pointy end of the women's race? You're in it. Two, obviously, two trains of thought. One is it's like the marathon and we all start together. And, like, I finished the Chicago Marathon with Lance Armstrong's ex-wife. Like, we paced each other down Michigan Avenue into the wind. Like, she helped me... And I helped her, and we ran the last three and a half miles together. Um, so I'm a man, and I helped her. She's a woman, and she helped me. And my wife races gravel a ton, and, well, she doesn't race gravel a ton, but she loves racing gravel and loves racing with the men, and she's always like, oh, I wonder who I can ride with. Um, she's been... She is not very good with directions, and so she likes having somebody who <laughs> knows the course or has the can read the um, the map on their Garmin or whatever. Um, and uh, so, I mean, she seeks out the guys that she's going to ride with, and she she'll finish top three on our local local gravel stuff. Uh, and then you hear. Um, I hear, heard uh, Sofia Gomez-Villafone talking about, I don't know what race it was, but uh, she put in a huge dig, spent a ton of energy, got off the front of whatever group she was in, left somebody behind her competition, and then, um, I don't know, 30 miles later, like, here rolls a group of 50 people with her competition tucked nicely inside. And she's like, doggone it, like, that sucks. I just spent all these chips and got nothing out of it. And she sat in that group and just got pulled right along, right back up to me. So there's definitely a 
couple of trains of thoughts. Like, should, like, Schwamigan, should you start separate? Have your own race. There's 30 of you and go. Um, or do you want to be tucked into the 1,200 other people at Schwamigan and ride along with everybody else? And, um, you know, you and I could have spent time together at Schwamigan looking at your time. Um, you know, how, how would you design a, a gravel race? Let's say you had an unlimited budget and you get to start from scratch and design a gravel race. I would start everyone together. Yeah, I would have probably um, a dedicated, I don't like this word, but it's the best way to explain it, is, would be to say a pro corral. And okay. the definition of that would really be you're racing to win. The pointy end. Um, yeah, you want to be at the pointy end of the race. And you're assuming the risks that you know are inherent in being in that pointy end. And then, of course, I think that having, you know, like the example that you brought up earlier, having the rest of the time cards to say, I'm going to try to finish in 12 hours. I'm going to try to finish in 13 hours. That's great. It establishes groups of people that can ride together. And ensures that everyone in your corral is kind of approaching the day from a similar mindset. And everyone can support each other and help everyone get to the finish line. But the only way that you're going to have a women's race that is truly not impacted by the men's race is to do them on separate days. It, it's a kind of a fact of gravel. It, because it's a 200 mile race, it's not a 45 minute cross race. It's not mm -hmm. reasonable to wait till all the men have finished to start the women or vice Correct. versa. And based on that, I understand Sophia's frustration. First of all, it's impressive to do something like that. She's an extremely impressive rider. And yeah, that would suck to be like, I just put in this massive effort and then men pulled my competition back to me. I'm going to guess that the women were working in that group. I will just say I've never seen a mixed group in a gravel race where the women were not working. Mm, that's fair. But I also think that this is a factor that racers just need to account for in the race. If you're in it's a mixed part... group and you attack from that mixed group, the chances are that the mixed group is going to chase you. And I've been in that position in gravel worlds in 2021. I attacked from a mixed group. Initially I was with another guy. He looked at me after about 10 minutes and was like, I don't have any reason to do this. Sorry. You're going to have to continue on, on your own. <laughs> he went oh, back wow. to the group and then they all started rotating to chase me. I was able to stay away, but it was obviously a very different situation, different race, different time period of the attack, different. Um, I was racing for fourth place and she was racing for the win. But yeah, I just think that um, that's something that you have to think about when you're making strategic decisions as a racer. Uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Like, 
the men are a dynamic of that event and how uh, I'm probably going to be whatever for using this word, but how you use them is part of your strategy, right? Like how do you use the people around you to affect the race to your benefit, whether it's men or women, to be honest, like that's part of the, you know, I've heard it said it's cycling is 90% fitness, 90% strategy and 90% NASCAR. Uh, and the other 10%, I don't know what it is, must be diet or food or something. But, um, but that's part of the strategy is how do you use the people around you to your benefit? And, you know, to your point, I guess Sophia did not use the people around her to her benefit. She didn't look around and think, oh, gosh, I'm going to leave her back here with these 49 guys and I'm going to go off on my own. She went off on her own and the 49 guys and her competition like rolled back up to her, which might be a natural thing to do. Just laws of momentum, laws of inertia. Like the group is always faster. I mean, unless well, your name's Evander Remco Those Evander guys Pol are racing too. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's not just that they set out to say like, oh, there's a woman up the road and we want to chase her, but they're racing too. They're going as fast as they can. Yeah. They're they're They want to finish as quick as they can as well. So yeah, yeah you're right. I think, uh, that's interesting, interesting way to look at it. Um, do you think there's any way to, I'm going to use the word legislate against domestiques for women that are men? I think that the best way to legislate that is by the norms that have already been established. Like, when these discussions started happening in 2021, the I'll say the women of Gravel got together and had a lot of discussions with race organizers about what do we want to do about this? You know, here's this question of should rules be imposed in a sport that was kind of created with a principle of not having rules. And the women themselves kept running back to this issue of if we impose rules on the women that are racing for the win, it's really hard to separate that out from the women that are out to set a PR on a 200 mile course and they maybe really want to ride that PR with the guys that they ride with on the on the weekend. Right. And those are the people that are paying registration fees, are actually supporting these events. Most events don't make money from pros. Yep. So it makes sense that the events are designed to support those people. Yeah, that's true. Honestly, any woman that I race with now they are very, very aware that if another woman sees a man from their team doing something that even looks like working for them, it's going to be scrutinized. So etiquette is kind of shaping the peloton these days. Yeah, I think that as much as everyone's going to cringe when I say it, the spirit of gravel is a real thing. And... 
a lot of it is just, it's not written. And no one, no UCI is going to come after you if you break a rule. But if you do something in a race that other racers don't like, chances are they're going to speak out against it. And the community that you race in might attack you for it. I don't know. Attack isn't the right word. They might criticize you for it. And yeah. I think that's enough well, that's for fair. most people to say... Yeah, I don't want to, you know, winning a race with the help of male teammates is not worth losing my reputation as someone that races fair. It's interesting to watch it evolve. I've ridden gravel since before we knew what gravel was. And, you know, back in the day, like I did Trans-Iowa number two, um, oh, which wow. was a long, long time ago. Uh, the very first serum, I think, around 15 years. Um, and that was even like gravel was a little bit maturing by that point so like i've been around a long time is what i'm saying and um when it started there were no entry fees there were no there was no insurance there was sometimes nobody at the finish line like you just kept track of how you finished um and that was the spirit of gravel and you know right now i unbound is a couple hundred bucks Gravel Worlds is 160 bucks with early registration. Um, you know, that's not grassroots. That's real live money. Um, you know, triathlons are 150 bucks, and we don't call them grassroots. That being said, the spirit of gravel, the friendliness, the community, the um, stopping and helping somebody who has a flat tire or giving somebody a um, cliff bar if they're hungry or helping them fill their water bottle halfway with half of your water bottle to get to the next aid station or whatever. I mean, that's the spirit of gravel. The spirit of gravel is crossing the finish line uh, hand in hand, not yeah. sprinting for the line. Um, that being said, there's dollar bills up front. I mean, you're in the Lifetime Series. There's money there. So, I mean, that's there's a pointy end. But, uh, and the pointy end can race for it. They can race for the cool trophies that are, you know, handmade or wood burnt or whatever. Um, and that's super duper cool. But, uh, um, I don't know. I feel like the spirit of gravel is the word community yeah. more than rules and regulations. I, don't I know. agree with you. Oh, I appreciate and that. I Thank that you. That, that community, it exists at every level like the racers that are racing the grand prix yeah they have a community that they're racing with for sure uh, yeah um you know i'm looking at your results you're um kind of in the teens with uh as far as the uh lifetime finishers and i would guess you're probably that's your community yeah the the 10 to 20th um, group of women, like you probably, if somebody had a flat, you'd probably help them out or yeah, whatever. I mean, but like one of the coolest examples of this is that Rebecca Faringer and I really never would have crossed paths were it not for gravel. She's a cross racer. I came from a road background. We have spent so much time together in races because 
I will catch her on the hills and she will catch me on the descents. And it's been so much fun to get to know her through the course of the season. And then to watch her take the win yesterday, knowing more about her, knowing her history, knowing what she had to overcome to be at the level where she could race for the win again. It was super cool. It was super cool. That like made my, my heart smile when she won. She needed that. That was a very, yeah. very good thing for her. She's a great person. I think it made everyone's heart smile. Yep. Yep. So yeah, she's part of your community. So whether it's on the pointy end or the just hoping to finish end, uh, Gravel's all about that community. I think uh, Gravel World's folks call it the Gravel family. And yes. I think we all belong to the Gravel family. And I don't know that the UCI is interested in the Gravel family. They're probably interested in TV rights. And uh, I don't know, however else the UCI makes money. And I, I think that can happen. I think that can be a part of the world of sport but yeah. it may or may not intertwine with our world of gravel over here and it's probably okay yeah and i think that what you said about yeah you know maybe there will be teams established to race a uci gravel world series and maybe it will become something similar to cross and, and mountain bike. I hope that the UCI understands that it has an opportunity right now to set a new standard with this sport and keep things equal between men and women. They can totally reverse course off of what they did in the first year. They have an opportunity. I'm hoping that they've heard the women that have spoken out and said, uh, no, 200K is not too long for us. But by the way, if it is too long for us, it's too long for the men too. Right, right. So give us so, the same course. So who do uh, who do people write to? Um, I will say that there is, if you go to the UCI Gravel World Series website, there is a contact form. Oh, perfect. I don't want to give any specific names. I wouldn't feel good about right. that. But I think that if you wanted to submit feedback, that'd be a really good place. Great. All right. I'll dig for that and I'll uh, try and put a link in the show notes. Uh, so we've been going on for an hour four and um, I, uh, you probably have to get some rest to um, rock out the uh, big sugar this weekend. Right. And so um, I will let you go. But before I do, uh, how do people connect with you if, uh, if they want to? You have social social media are do you um if i feel like all the privateers like part of your job is like either be a uh uh film editor or a podcaster or something what's what's your specialty um i do instagram so at hannah g shell i'm also on facebook dig it and yes the well i will put uh, influencers so yeah yeah, big time, big time. I feel like that's part of the job description. If you love what you do, it's not uh, hard to make content about it. At least for me, it's not. Yeah, good point. So have fun this weekend. I will be curious to see how you find the mountain bike trails. As you're, I know you've got a gravel race on the weekend. It sounds like you might stay a day or two and ride some of the trail mountain bike trails around Bentonville. Yeah, absolutely. I am lo really looking forward. Your description has me very excited to check those out.
super fun. Laugh out loud fun. <laughs> that is my description. Uh, all right, cool. Well, I will let you go, and I really appreciate you being on uh, on Bike Talk with Dave. Have uh, have fun Thanks this weekend, me. and good luck. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for episode number 41 of Bike Talk with Dave. My sincere thanks to Hannah Shell. It was super fun getting to know her, and I really enjoyed our conversation about the state of gravel, which is kind of a teenager right now looking for its lifelong identity. And like a teenager who matures into a young adult and eventually a mature adult, we hope, it will continue to grow, evolve, and adapt to the changing tides of cyclists around the world. Thanks, Hannah, for your openness and willingness to share, and be sure to follow her adventures on bike and as she travels the country in her RV with her hubby Jake and two cats. Find her on the gram at Hannah G. Shell. And if you have opinions about the growth of gravel at the UCI level, look for their contact form and let your voices be heard. Thanks again for listening to Bike Talk with Dave. I'd love if you would be so kind as to show your support to the show by rating and reviewing. That was a really long way of saying that. <laughs> Please also share with your friends and family. If you'd like to support the show financially and help it improve, you can go to buymeacoffee.com or hit me up on Venmo at david.mabel and throw some love in my way. I'll use it to make the podcast better. I've got some ideas I'd love to implement. And if you do support the show financially, I'll send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker for your toolbox or maybe the rear window of your RV. So look for buymeacoffee.com or Venmo at david.mabel. As a Bike Talk with Dave listener, you are welcome to a free three-month subscription to the Adventure Plus streaming platform a streaming service with hundreds of awesome adventure films. Just click the link in the show notes and get registered for 90 days free where you can watch more than 600 films on cycling, surfing, skiing, running, mountain and rock climbing, all sorts of cool stuff. Head on over to adventureplus.com. I also want to thank bikeiowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com is where you can find all kinds of cycling news, all the events, information, and trails in Iowa and the Midwest. Bike Talk with Dave is a production of Summit Media Films, an award-winning indie film company that is not afraid of snow. Check out our films on AdventurePlus.com with your free 90-day subscription. That would be A Thousand Miles to Nome and Down the Kuskokwims, which are our films on the Iditarod Trail and Reach for the Stars, which is a 100-mile run on the hilly gravel roads of south-central Iowa. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.